Welcome to Lonely Cello. Welcome to the Lonely Cello Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Wright, and I am here with... Jeremy Borsma. Da-na-na-na! <laughs> Who um, are you? Well, <laughs> my name is Jeremy Borsma. I, uh, I am a uh, music teacher. I'm an elementary music teacher and middle school music teacher uh, and private uh, strings teacher. Um, Cello is my specialty. Uh, it's kind of, it's my main axe. It's the instrument that I love and it's the instrument I've been playing um, the most. But uh, as one does when one's doing teaching, you tend to branch out um, into other areas. And I also work uh, on the side as a um, professional cellist, mostly with a duo group. Um, we do gigs around town and stuff. And uh, I've played with uh, symphony orchestras and community orchestras and lots of different things like that. And how did we come to know each other? Well, it's funny you should ask that. I would think you would have remembered it. <laughs> oh, I, uh, I'm just old now. <laughs> no, don't even, oh, don't tell me about it. Uh, we <laughs> met because um, uh, some time ago I was playing in one of the uh, aforementioned community orchestras and was actually playing uh, with a band that uh, my sister had gotten me into. Um, they needed some auxiliary cello stuff. And uh, in the course of doing that, I realized I needed to get my chops up to be able to play with any kind of proficiency and do anything. So I um, found a cello teacher, actually uh, a friend of mine who sat next to me in uh, the community orchestra. She had recommended you and said, Emily Wright is the person to go and take lessons with. So, um, Was that Alicia Bauer? Uh, no, that, uh, I had actually taken lessons with Alicia. Um, that was um, uh, Francie. Francie. Uh, oh, Francie Carly. Carly, yes. I, yes. I'm not sure if she's still Francie Carly or not. Um, it's been a minute, but, uh, yes. yeah, so no, but, but Francie had said, uh, go, go and, uh, study with Emily. Um, and, uh, yeah. And Alicia was wonderful too. We had, I'd done lessons with her for a while and then I had left it cause I got busy and, um, and then by the time I was coming back, there we were. So. Yeah. And that's actually just, even though that's not the topic of this particular podcast, um, I always advocate if not cheating on your teacher, like going and taking from multiple instructors, because usually they have the same things to say, but using a different lexicon or coming from like a different direction. And I feel like that's always um, both incredibly frustrating because I'm like, wait, I thought you would tell me something else and that the problem was actually not my insanely wonky right hand technique. No, you don't say? Oh. Okay. Um, it's just nice to hear it from like multiple points of view. Um, anyway, so the reason you're the first person I wanted to have on for this particular series is because I think it is safe to say that you went from being a, a more than higher than average skilled amateur who was serious about being good and who had previous experience with the piano. You got like pretty serious um, with the piano, but you made the leap into being, by all definitions we can come up with, a professional cellist. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about that journey for you. And also, like, is it important to even define professional cellist? Because there are a lot of people who are really, really excellent. And then there are some people who seem like they're really excellent at the instrument, but they are 100% not a professional. And then there are other people who you know are professionals and you're like, wow, how'd they get that gig? <laughs> um, exactly. It is. It's kind of this wild thing. Um, so actually, I think maybe the first thing is how would you define a professional musician? Like, is it just as simple as somebody who has gotten paid to play music before? Uh, it's, that is really, it's, it's kind of the crux of a lot of the questions now, um, especially now that, you know, 
all of us professional musicians are kind of having to pivot and spin everything around and really ask a lot of questions and look at the tax questions and, and the money questions and everything. But what does what is professional mean? Um, you know, and, and I really think it kind of depends on the conversation you're having and with whom you're having it. Um, there's there's an aspect of professional that I think like you and I would think of as professionalism. And that's just right. sort of an attitude, the sort of mentality that um, honestly, I think any person can have. It doesn't matter what the discipline or what the field or what the level of ability is or whatever. Um, someone who shows up to a rehearsal five minutes early with all of their gear, with a pencil to write things down, they're professional. They're acting professionally. They're doing the things that are expected. Um, of someone you would describe as a professional musician. But we also think about in terms of the practical side of things and what am I doing with my life? Like that's kind of the other big one that comes up with this. And it's like, and and it's like, well, that always comes down to the money question. So it's like, did I go and do a thing and get money for it? I did. I'm a professional. Yay. And so, uh, you know, there there is that aspect of it. And that alone and by itself is completely independent of ability and completely independent of attitude and completely independent of anything when you just frame it from the sense of, hey, look, I got a pay stub that makes me a professional. Um, then there's, there's also the kind of life question. And I think I kind of like to frame it for me, just for my own, um, how I look at the world. I look at it more as a... Um, a who who am I an identity thing you know it kind of gets into the yeah. existentialism of professional um you know I have played cello I have played gigs I've played to entertain people I have played for recordings I have played to make money um I briefly you know played with that you know this cello instrument is my sole source of income right now um and and, and then I've also just kind of, you know, and I've always, at least I've tried to bring my A game, my professionalism into all of the cello playing I do, whether it's being paid or not. Um, so I sort of look at it as a, do, do I look at myself and think of myself as a cellist? And that's a much bigger question, of course. Um, that's, that's kind of the, woo, that's the great big puffy question. Um, but I think adding or looking at myself as a professional cellist goes a long way to informing that larger question. Um, I have worked hard to make my cello playing something that somebody else can use or incorporate into their life in some way. Um, in that, I would consider myself to be a, a professional cellist. Um, but that's kind of the long, long way around of, of just opening the discussion even of what does professional mean, because I really honestly think it, it's a sliding scale and it kind of means different things to different people at different times. Yeah. And I'm, I kept trying to, I mean, I'm asking these questions, not because I have the answers, but I'm actually hoping maybe when I've done six of these episodes, I might have a better idea of even whether it's important. I keep thinking about the difference. So I teach a lot of people who are earnest adult amateurs and a lot of them who are maybe they won't be able to brand themselves as a professional cellist but for instance they want to be they want to be principal cello in a fine community orchestra or maybe in their smaller town chamber orchestra where like that is the game in town so effectively they'd be playing with people who went to music school and all these things and I just keep looking at some of the things there are these intangibles that seem to differentiate their their playing and their attitude in lessons that is very different from my playing, even my terrible playing in lessons and my attitudes. So for instance, something that, the thing I suppose that I keep coming back to, at least in this point of my rumination, is that a professional musician knows their role. They know that they are in service first to the music and second to the ensemble. And the best thing they can do is be an invisible vehicle for art. 
And I feel like a lot of people who come, especially in DC, this is way more prevalent than it was when I was in LA, they come to it with like a really competitive attitude. So they're not playing Beethoven, they're playing for, you know, they're tilting at the windmills or they're looking at the back of first chair and they're like, next season, I'm sitting there. And I think that doesn't make good art. And that might be controversial, but I just feel like, and then also in lessons, um, when I think a professional musician or when I was a baby musician, so I was getting paid to play when I was like 13 or 14. I was a long way from a professional at that point. But you were getting paid, <laughs> so, so you were but professional. I was getting paid. It was a professional right, in, thing. In some, it was a gig. Right, in, <laughs> in some respect. Um, but um, I, was all, I was going to lessons and I cannot imagine saying some of the things to my teachers that people have said to me, especially adult amateurs. So for instance, um, well here, so listen to this. And, and they're like, well, I don't think that sounded very good. Okay, 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 okay. Maybe not, okay, maybe that wasn't perfect. Um, or see, now that note was a little bit flat. Like, no, it wasn't. Like, no, I, hmm. Can you just roll roll with it just for a second here? Um, and so there's like a defensiveness because I think as adults, we are praised for competence. And when another adult, um, especially one that tries not to be threatening, like I really work to kind of be vulnerable with my students, um, when I suggest that there might be like, okay, here, here's here's really an issue that's just sticking we need to get to work on this. I think it's very hard to not push back against that. And I mentioned in my, I don't know if it was the previous episode, but like, it was very hard for me when I was first taking hockey skating lessons as an adult with, by the way, a teenager teaching me uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> who was so good, <laughs> so good. And it was so hard for me to just accept that like, nope, I'm a bender. I'm the worst. I need so much work. <laughs> my, my skating did get a lot better once I surrendered to the fact that I was going to fall down. But I think that's it. Like falling down, there's a humiliation there. And I think that if you are on the path to be a professional musician from a young enough age or for, with the right mindset, you do not take these things as humiliations or as like an attack on you as like an artist, but rather information. This is just some information that I would hope you would take. Um, so I feel like there's knowing that your role is really uh, important. And then um, I was thinking also, this might even be a question about like, is music school necessary to become a professional? And of course the answer is like, no, right? There are plenty of people. I mean, most of the people in, in rock bands, and I'm, I'm not talking about just like, you know, mediocre. There are some fine rock musicians yeah, who don't who don't read who don't read music who have a very sophisticated understanding of the way all this stuff works. Um, but um, you went to music school for the cello, and I'm wondering how you would if you would talk a little bit about how that helped equip you for this transition from, um, by the way, in my mind, I just have you as like IT guy for the Getty back in the day. That was it, that was the gig. That, yep. Right, um, and there's by the way, the Venn diagram for people working in IT or working with computers and music is like really, really, it's, it's a huge overlap there, yeah. especially now with the economy and let's call it flux. Mm -hmm. That's the polite <laughs> word. That's the polite word for this yep. economy. Yeah, it's anyway, easy for but us just, to pivot that way. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so what what would you say, though? Um, how did music school equip you for where you are now and where you're going to keep going? Well, in, and it's very interesting in that a large portion of why I entertained the idea of going to music school um, and something else we haven't really touched on here in talking in the conversation of, of professional musicians is is the idea that teaching is actually very much part of being a professional musician 
Um, oh, yeah. In my mind, um, there are, you know, you, you get a lot of the naysayers of the, you know, in the whole, oh, those who can't do teach, which is hilarious to all of us who can do and yet also teach and actually yeah. do or teach because we do, you know, I, I mean, right. it's just, it's a natural extension of, of what happens there. So I, I find that to be somewhat hilarious and insulting at the same time. Um, Indeed. <laughs> but... But uh, when back when I was, you know, pondering this whole thing, well, it turns out I had this um, crazy cello teacher who uh, she decided she was going to move out east <clears throat> and uh, decided that she needed to find someone to cover her lessons. And so she threw me into teaching a bunch of her students, which, you know, sight unseen was a, a very terrifying and yet character defining moment. Um, you know, and, and, uh, for which again, I can't thank you enough for that. Um, you were ready, you were ready for it and you needed a push. I, I was ready for it. I, yeah. I can say that now. I surely would never have said it then. <laughs> um, but, but it did it and, and it was great and it actually, um, you know, it really, it really changed a lot of things in terms of how I viewed anything. But one of the big things was the idea in my mind of okay so I was a student in this studio in this class now somehow I am the teacher what differentiates me what what how do I characterize myself differently from this and you know that was a process of just kind of of walking through that but as time went on I realized something I really craved for myself was a um I don't know if validation is the right word but 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 just something wherein I needed to feel like I had I had put the work in to be called the thing that I was doing and and for me in my journey and in my life that meant I think I need to go to school and I was also good because I wanted to you know get my chops up with doing some things and that was the next step too so a lot of things came together but I can honestly say the main reason I went to school was so that I could become a better teacher um, and 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 uh, you know just have a better bag of tricks in my teaching um, and now and you went you studied with Kyle right Kyle Champion I did so I, w I was studying privately with Kyle Champion after my um, teacher before him abandoned me and, and left <laughs> me and cast me out into the streets alone fledgling worst teacher ever for himself honestly <laughs> yes. um no so i was studying with kyle champion and uh, he of course uh, teaches at university of redlands and so um and you know that was a close shot to where i was it worked out well i auditioned and um got in there and uh studied with him there for a long time and of course he's amazing and that was a really wonderful experience um now, what did that do for me in terms of bridging the gap from me thinking of myself as quote-unquote amateur musician to quote-unquote professional musician? Um, and I would like to preface this by saying I felt for a long time that I was a professional musician because I was gigging, I was playing around town, I was doing things, um, yep. you know, that were that were, you know, at my level of being able to do them competently. Um, but I did consider myself something of a professional musician already. Uh, but going to school, again, just sort of increased my confidence in my own skills, in my own abilities. And so I think that it again, it becomes more of an internal matter. It was a what I was able to believe of myself that then I could identify as a professional musician. Um, on the surface, did a whole lot change in terms of, of you know, the gigs I was playing or, um, you know, what I was doing. Functionally, probably not. Uh, I mean, in that I went to school, so I made some contacts that I didn't have before so I was getting some gigs in different places and you know doing different things my playing got a lot better because I was spending hours and hours and hours a day uh, playing the cello <laughs> and not about sitting behind a computer coding SQL um, <laughs> but uh, but in terms of the the label 
or the me thinking of myself as a professional, um, this is a little more nebulous, I think. I, I think what you did um, before you went to music school, though, is you kind of cobbled together a curriculum for yourself. Um, like, um, you sought out a teacher, and then you also sought out tons of performance practice stuff, and then you also, like, were seeking out kind of extracurricular things. Plus, you had done a lot of the work already um, on piano in terms of getting yourself in that music school format. Um, what I wrote down here is that, so, so music school is not necessary in itself, but what it does is it reliable, reliably um, offers things that are, I think are needed to succeed as a musician. So here's what I wrote down. First of all, you do have massive amounts of practice, not just alone because that doesn't get the job done. With other people, it is so important to understand. And also that practice, when you're in a rehearsal, um, I'm not sure about you, but I bet you are not nearly as paralyzed or uh, petrified of mistakes now. And it's it, it, and what it is is I think first of all you get good at disaster recovery, you see other people make mistakes, and you just keep going. And you live through and you're, them. <laughs> and you live through them. And also somebody's um, you know in in rehearsal like we are all rooting for each other. <laughs> we are all hoping that everybody does the best they can and when a reed player is like struggling with malfunctioning instrument or a french horn player is having a terrible day we don't ever say that person is not a good musician we think oh god there but for the grace of god go i number one and number two you know next rehearsal there is no way that that same thing is going to happen right they're going to go behind the woodshed and figure it out so that, but also the thing about music school, that some uh, um, amateurs are pretty good at cobbling together this part of it. You get multiple experts weighing in nearly daily on your progress, and then they're showing by um, example, and they're also welcoming you into a lineage. So like you are in the lineage of Kathy Graff, who was taught by William Pleath, who was Jacqueline Dupre's teacher. You are in the lineage of Leonard Rose and Ron Leonard. Like, and now you're also in the lineage of Kyle Champion. Do you know who Kyle's formative teacher was? Uh, was... Was Ron it Leonard. Piatigorsky? Was it Ron Leonard? I, I know he so. was with Ron for a while. Yeah. God. Yeah. Ron Leonard, I want you to live forever if you're listening to this. You're yeah. just, you're the best. So see so, we all. <laughs> right, exactly. So, like, that is actually... That carries some weight and it builds confidence. Um, and then you get these sort of bridge gigs when you are in music school, right? So, And then also you have a cohort of people who are doing the same thing and you're kind of watching each other improve. You're pushing each other. Um, and I just feel like you can get those things without going to music school, but it's like just drinking straight from the font when you are there. And I think that that is, that's hard to replicate. Um, and that's actually a little plug for my camp that doesn't exist yet. That is something that I'm really hoping to offer is just that kind of conservatory style, not just that we're gonna take you seriously, but that we're gonna offer you this sort of blitz of information and opportunity and community. Um, so, well, yeah, and that's, that's kind a of, big, yeah. that's a huge part of it. The, the, the community aspect of it, I think, is so, is, is so critical and essential and is very much something that you can expect to get from going to music school that you wouldn't be able to if you were just to sort of take the route of, you know what, I'm going to just very seriously study on my own. I'm going to do things, particularly when you're talking about instruments like stringed instruments, that a large portion of what we do is ensemble playing. Right. And, you know, you, you, it really changes your mindset a lot when you get to sit down and, and not just, okay, I'm going to learn my part and get really good at my part by myself and I'm going to sit down with some other people and we're all going to play together at the same time and, and it's going to sound like something wonderful. Or, 
as happens often with like kind of the studio recording thing, I'm going to play with, you know, 20 other people right now, but I will never meet them. I will never see them. I won't even hear what they're going to play. So it's, and it becomes very different when you get that experience of I'm working with a cohort of people and we're working with each other for a sustained amount of time. And, and I get to see how that changes the actual music that we're making and, and what, what the differences are and how it can sometimes make it a lot worse. And a lot of times it makes it a lot better, but it just, it, it has an effect to it. Um, and again, those are experiences that, that then you take you know, on to where, um, you know, I, I do feel very comfortable dropping down into any ensemble of, of any people that I have been dropped into ensembles of people with and feel very comfortable playing with them, playing around them, playing near them, um, you know, and, and just being able to ingest all of those attitudes and be able to handle that. That, I think, is a huge part of the professional game, you know, Gorilla yeah, um, playing. <laughs> yeah, no, but that's it. So, um, because also I know that there are a lot of people who have played with one or two ensembles and they're just going to stick in there because that's their comfort zone. And I think part of being being able to, if not be a professional musician, to perform in a professional capacity, whatever you decide to label yourself, um, I think it's almost like, okay, so there is this far side cartoon that I remember cackling at when I was a little kid and it's like uh it was a psychiatrist and he was offering exposure therapy and he was like the guy was like hoisted out on the side of a building with snakes all over him because he had a fear of heights and snakes yes yes and it's and at some point it's funny it's not that I am I do not have adrenaline going into new gigs in fact every rehearsal i get like i get a little zhuzh of something but i think and i tell my students if you're nervous like that means you're alive because something matters to you and you want to do well the whole point is for me that wanting to do it so far overrides any fear that i have that i will go in there i will be just a little bit afraid and then i will get comfortable and at the end of the rehearsal i'm like well that was two hours that were just so wonderful next rehearsal i'm like oh here comes rehearsal again right it's just there's it's wonderful because it continues to matter to me and i continue to want to be good but it's that i think professionals we are comfortable with the idea of the fear and you just do it so much that you realize it's part of the game and you're not an imposter if it doesn't go away. Exactly. And I think, and, and that's, I mean, that, that sums it up so well. There's, there's, there's an idea before, maybe this is a good like little litmus test. There's, I think an idea before you become a professional or a seasoned professional that, you know what, if, I just do more and more of these things, I'll become numb to them. I'll become numb to the fear of it, and then I'll just stop being afraid of it. And I think the professional is actually the, at the point of saying, you know what, no, that, that zhuzh, which it's a French term, right? It's a, it's a French term for anxiety and, and uh, excitement yes. and maybe a, a slight bit of fear. Yeah, there's just not yes. a good other word to use than zhuzh. <laughs> um, but I, I think the professional is at the point of, you know what, that's going to be there, but I'm not worried. That's not going to get in my way. I'm going to enjoy this because of it, you know, and not in, not necessarily even in spite of it, but like that is a part of the process. Um, yeah, it's sometimes actually, sometimes I've done things in performance, I think because of that little bit of, of fuel. And I am somebody who has had bouts of stage fright not recently although hey touch wood <laughs> yeah i know when was the last time we were all on stage it's going to be all brand new again <laughs> right exactly actually by the way this this concert's going to be wild because of course it's all super social distance and i have no idea yeah. what we're going to do with the brass players right wind players they can't have a mask on yeah. so i'm like be behind these huge plexiglass bubbles exactly and, yeah. i yeah who even knows and of course nobody in the audience um but yeah, I just think it's it's something that if you practice well enough at home, and I do think that sometimes the maybe another difference is the amount of preparation that you that you admit you need. 
So I'm practicing these pieces and none of them are super gnarly. Um, I am practicing the easiest piece at multiple tempos along with multiple recordings with a metronome multiple times a day because when you do get that little bit of frisson, that little zhuzh going through you, that can sometimes also take you down a notch in terms of your luck. And so professionals realize there you want to count on having a very unlucky day on performance day and that the thing that will catch you is the absolute depth of your preparation. You're just going to prepare all of it. There's no measures that you haven't played. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And that's an experience thing too. And 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 that's one of the nice things about music school. <laughs> kind of hilarious. You get the chance. Is there are so many times, well, you get the chance to do that, but you also run into so many times where it's like, oh, well, goodness gracious, I am playing in like three to eight of the composer students' recital pieces. I'm playing like four different small chamber group things, and I've got my own recital coming up, and we've got the university symphony concert coming up, and then also the, you know, the actual professional symphony concert is coming up. There are simply not going to be enough hours in the day to practice all of those things, and you get to find out what is it really like when I'm on stage and all of a sudden it is the unlucky day and I haven't prepared for it. What does that feel like versus, okay, for my recital, I'm shutting everything down. I'm not gonna do anything except practice this. I'm gonna get every single little thing practiced in. And then what does that feel like when you have the bad day of that? And and you really get to, you know, and, and the nice thing is, even though at the time it, in music school, it can feel very scary and like, oh, it's the final countdown. <laughs> and, you know, like my world will end if I don't actually play every single note of, you know, this Mendelssohn orchestral excerpt correctly. Um, it's still sort of a little safe bubble um, because you're a student, which is another one of those places where you can kind of look at the difference between or what are we talking about when we say professional musician? Well, is, is it possibly a professional student musician? It absolutely is. But when you're a student musician, you also have this little bit of kind of like a net to fall on, you know, just yes. in case. Um, you know, so it's a, uh, yeah. So that's good. I don't know. And I don't know about you, but the more I teach, the more I realize how, how important continuing to learn still is, not just for my own development, but to also make sure that my students are getting the very best possible information and exposure to ideas. And so even though, I won't lie, my ego is attached to the idea of me being a professional musician, mostly because it cost me so much. It cost me like surgeries, it cost me money, it cost me uh, I mean, I was like a super turbo nerd in school because I was a cellist, right? And so it's like all of these things. I mean, I still would have been a turbo nerd, but they would have been like... the cool nerds, though, I, I discovered. That was kind of oh. nice. That was like, I graduated from just being a nerd to being a cool nerd because I played yeah, <laughs> Yes, royalty among geekdom. Yes. Um, um, we lost the thread. Well, what was I saying, Jeremy? Um, well, so traveling down the path of, um, student teacher, student that's right. Teachers. Yes. Right. And continuing so, education. Like, like what right. do you do to sort of keep, keep sharp as you're you know, moving forward and why? Right. So I just decided that I was going to do my next graduate semester this year, not at school here. So I'm learning, um, right now I'm studying like the Prokofiev cello, um, Sonata. I, you thought I was going to say concerto. Nope. <laughs> Sonata. <laughs> what? Why would you do that to yourself? But I'm also listening to new music. I'm analyzing music, um, reading books. And then I've got this podcast because I want to talk about this stuff and feel connected to musicians in this, this other way. But I tell my students now that like, I am a teacher and if you want to be a teacher you can be but I just want you to understand that we are on the same path and I'm just ahead of you on this path and I just want you to follow this lantern that I'm holding that's all it is and then I I don't know about you but I would love to have the money to take some more lessons <laughs> right just like because there's always people they don't even have to be like better than you because all it is is objectivity and compassion and maybe some different experience 
That's what you need to have a banging lesson. And and someone that's just able to observe what you're doing and observe you and kind of have the empathy to help you be your better self. I don't I don't need you to pull me up from being up above me. You might just have a really good pulley and winch system and <laughs> are able to move me along my path. I have known so many people. I it's one of those things where and again kind of the whole thing that it was such a good thing that, you know, you threw me into that crucible of teaching when you did. Um, one of the things I did not realize until that was how much you learn from your students. Um, you know, there's, there's, it's, it's funny how many students I've had where, you know, they're like, oh, this is so wonderful that you're doing this. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I like, I probably learned more from this lesson today than you did. Um, we all make the same mistakes. And so especially when you're teaching beginners, like number one, they make mistakes in a very obvious way, but it's still at the kernel of the mistakes that advanced players make. Um, and also for me, I really didn't have all my chops together until I had been teaching beginners and intermediate cellists for a couple of years, because in lessons you have to demonstrate good technique all the time. You can't take shortcuts. All the time. And and you suddenly time. start you suddenly start having to ask the question because they say, well, how do you know where to put your second finger and not with your third finger? And you're like, oh, I don't know. You just do it. But you're not allowed to say those words as a teacher. You better no. understand what you're doing. And it's like, <laughs> oh, wow, I need to go and figure this one out. So it's, yeah, it's that's delightful. Um, and, yeah. and I do, ooh, I would love to have A, the money and B, the time to like get some lessons myself again. Um, the... Uh, the, the the idea of, I think, continually improving, it's a big one for me. It's a huge one for me. I don't, it, it you know, it was what kind of drove me into going to school in the first place. Did I need to go to school to teach beginning cellists? I, I didn't. Um, but did I need to keep seeing more things and keep exploring what was out there for myself so that I had just more different ways to look at everything to be an effective teacher, absolutely. Um, and are there many ways to do that? Yes. Um, but, and that's, and as you say, I mean, it's like, I, there are just, there's so many things to go out there and explore and do and learn and keep learning and keep improving. There's, I, I know it will never happen to me that there will ever come a point where I will say, I have gotten to the top of the mountain. I can now show everyone the way here. Like, that just simply will never happen. There is no top of that mountain for me. I look at a lot of people and I think, wow, they are at the top of the mountain. But then I kind of have to extrapolate. I'm like, you know what? And not a one of them, not a one of them, not a one of the teachers I've ever had have ever, have ever, you know, said, I am the end all be all. It's always a, this is where we are going. We are going to, we are on a journey. We are on a path. Um, and it's strange. It's almost like this inverse ego um, proportion that like the more strides you make on the instrument, the instrument, I have an accent now. I hope you're ready. <laughs> Welcome. It's all to that Soviet zhuzhing. Russia. <laughs> I'm zhuzhing, exactly. I don't even know what, what accent that was. But um, being, so improving on the instrument is a humbling process. And it humbles you. And so it makes you more prone to that mindset that actually helps you learn. So it's like if you lay that down a little bit and just say, I too am a student, not only will it help you improve, um, but it also, I don't feel that far away from really truly fine cellists. I'm, I'm a good cellist, don't get me wrong. My emphasis has been teaching. I've taken a bunch of years off from big performing gigs. I know exactly where I am and, and I'm fine with, with where I am. I'm totally serviceable in any orchestra or studio situation. Oh, I want string quartet playing, by the way. I miss wow. a string quartet like you wouldn't believe. But I look at people like, who are recording as soloists. And actually, I'm gonna to move to violin here. I watch Hilary Hahn do her 100 days of practice. And I feel like she's just on the same path as me and she's just a little further down, right? I don't know if you've watched that, but like she does slow bow exercise and that mm -hmm. bow grinds, right? She is, she repeats things. Uh, it sounds good for 17 reps and on the 18th, it's pitchy. And it's just kind of like, 
it's wonderful to see people who are at that high level humbling themselves for us and it makes me feel like I've got some place to strive for but also that we're actually all in the same boat together yeah absolutely yeah um, um, and, so, and, and I think it's critical, especially um, to be an effective teacher, to, to take that to take that mindset, you know, there's that this is not a I am I am infallible, I'm invincible, you must take my word because I said so and I am so much more perfect than you. Um, you know, there's uh, there has to be space for that to be for you to model effectively model practice you know it's it's not i'm not coming at this starting it perfectly i'm starting here and i want to get there we're going to go through the same steps whether we're starting from here or whether we're starting from up there we all want to get a little higher up the mountain so so i want to do just a quick little pivot here um honestly if that word were made into a drinking game this past year we would all need oh i know (laughs) Hold on, there are people who don't need new livers. Right. <laughs> I am so jealous. That's why I want to meet those so people. <laughs> I'm going to meet that person and take their livers, what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so part of the reason I wanted to, to do this series is because um, without naming any names, I'm a member of a sometimes vicious Facebook group that seems like it has a, a real core of people who feel like it's very important to make these distinctions. And there is, especially people who are in no way professional cellists, like they wouldn't call themselves professional cellists, yet they do a lot of gatekeeping and naysaying and I'm just wondering, like, have you experienced that yourself or have you witnessed it? Or do you just like have any thoughts about this? The main thing that I, besides being like mainly a teacher and people are like, oh, like I once, I had a dude troll my website for a long time. I got death threats. <laughs> um, they're like, wow, this isn't ready for showtime. Your playing isn't very good. I'm like, I was actually showing what it's like to sight read. <laughs> like, that's what it's actually like to sight read. <laughs> but, you know, you do you. Thanks okay. for coming. <laughs> Thank, thanks for the uh, the Google Analytics hit. Like, I appreciate that bump in the, uh, right. in the API. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, and, but I feel like there's, for instance, like, if you didn't start off young, you're screwed. If you do something else for money, if you don't earn all of your money from music, we're going to poo-poo you. Any thoughts on this? And you can feel free to be like, I do not want to give those bitches my time. <laughs> oh, well, a lot. And I, you know, we all run into it at some point or other. Um, you know, and especially in this day and age, the way, you know, I, I mean, not to drag this dead horse out again, but the way social media is set up and it's very easy for anybody to be sitting there and armchair quarterback their way into whatever judgy nonsense they want and post it and feel very secure saying horrible things and you know there's little to no kind of repercussion and I mean it's blah 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 um outside of all of that I think it's important again to sort of establish context um Mm. somebody and that's where it's I don't I don't necessarily and this is kind of a weird thing because the label itself professional um, is somewhat in and of itself an external reference. I mean, yeah. it, 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 is a, it is a word that, uh, you know, I mean, literally means to be engaged in the profession of, you know, something. So um, now I don't, I, I still don't think, though, I, well, what, what I think we're not, it's, to me, it, it has never struck me as something that somebody else could tell me, oh, you are a professional musician. Like, for me, it almost started from the reverse side of it, where people kept telling me, no, you are a professional musician. No, you really are professional. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm not a professional musician. That's fish podge. Like, you can't. Because I had my, where my headspace was, was so set not in 
in in in that arena. Um, mm. And it wasn't until I you know I I kind of sat down and and decided to accept that as kind of an identifier for myself that I am a professional musician. Um, that I even started kind of batting this idea around in my head, and that is, you know, um, what is it? No one can tell you you are the one. You just know <laughs> from balls to bones. You know, like, um, yeah. you know, nobody can tell me that I am a professional musician, or nobody can tell me I'm not a professional musician. Somebody can tell me, oh, you know what? I define a professional musician as somebody who makes their money solely by playing you know, cello in a nationally recognized symphony orchestra and has made five recordings. Okay, by those criteria, I do not fall into what you call a professional cellist or a professional musician or whatever. Um, but I think there are uh, a lot of different people have a lot of different criteria for it. And a lot of people who are sitting on the internet are looking there and saying, is this something that I would want to download and listen to that would make me smile? No? Okay, then it must be awful. You know, end of story. They're not looking at the context of, I'm showing you what the internal process of sight reading something that's outside of your ability level looks like and feels like and then I'm going to show you what you can do with that and how to cope with it and you know they're not having that dialogue and they might not even have the language to do that that just might be outside of their sphere and scope. It's also sometimes people have reactions to I'm I'll, I'll actually be a little bit provocative here um, I know a lot of a lot of people have reactions to women being confident on the internet um, and I and well so here's something there's a there's a book and then a TV show called Shrill which is about Lindy West who's this amazing and funny author writer kind of thinker uh, modern day philosopher I suppose and she is fat and she is fabulous and she's not running from either of those things and so she started writing some really provocative, interesting pieces about being fat and how it's actually like not a problem. And if it is a problem, it is certainly not somebody on the outside's problem. And she attracted this super troll. And this guy blew up the website. He, he like sent things to her. He was just like really, really intense. And she actually found where he lived and confronted him. And after some kind of what you would expect to be like back and forth with a troll, he actually took a step back and he said he used to be fat and it was really hard for him to see somebody accept themselves and be vulnerable and confident with being fat. And he said, it just made me hate myself and I hated you for, for making me feel that way. And so sometimes I feel like, because by the way, I've never gotten a troll that was a woman. I have never once gotten a nasty comment on my website from a woman. I've gotten some nasty comments on, there was like a, a, a website that's like awkward photos of classical musicians. And I got some some women being catty there. And I found them and emailed them. Um, but... <laughs> but come on, I mean, the website started with the word awkward. What were you looking for there? I mean... <laughs> Yeah, well, no, no, it's they, somebody found a picture of me and they submitted me saying I am an awkward looking musician oh, oh, and, and look how ugly she is. And I'm like, hi, Deb, yeah. let's talk because yeah. <laughs> I think I look cute. Well, but anyway, so I, I feel like a lot of people, when I put something like that up there, I think that reminds them of their imperfection. And I think that that might hurt them a little bit. Well, I, there are a few things that are um, that are scarier or can make a person feel more insecure than seeing somebody else facing the insecurities that you have and overcoming them. Um, yeah. You know, I, and I circle back a little bit into the going to school for music. There's a there's a little bit of a dark side to it as well. In in that in some environments, and especially in some of the conservatory environments, they, they do sort of foster this idea of, well, you always have to be perfect, and if you are not perfect, then you are underachieving. 
Um, and you, you find that a lot, especially in orchestras. Um, you know, that's just a lot of the whole, oh, I got to make it to first stand. I got to make it to first stand. I got to make it to first chair. Or I'm not any good. Um, you know, and, and that's a, that's a struggle that you see a lot of the very successful string players actually even talking about and saying, you know what, I had that mindset for so, so long of a time and had to get over it, had to overcome it somehow. And just so many destructive things that happen. And I think a lot of what you see on the internet um, in terms of responses and stuff sort of sort of hinges around that. It's like, well, my experience was this, and how dare you? How dare you overcome this unovercomable thing that I'm wrestling with? You you couldn't have. It must be wrong. I'm going to tear you down because it's just so scary for me. Um, to talk to the other side of it, where you know you're talking about. You know, you, you know, you've never had a woman come after you on your sites other than, you know, whatever stupidness was going on. And <laughs> on the one, um, that's, a, that's, that's an area wherein I'm extremely privileged. White male. Um, th there are not a lot of people who will just come at me. And unfortunately, as the years have gone by and as I've seen things, I've had to come to the realization that it is for no other reason than that. I have this just assumed agency and and authority because I'm white and male and I live in this society and it's it's no, disgusting. No. But Jeremy, it... look, we are ignoring one very important thing, guys. He has a gun rack on his car. Okay. Oh, like, there's that. He and also he has tattoos on his face. I know you can't see him. He's <laughs> this is a scary man. He's a scary man and he's just pretending. I'm but, horrified. Like, I would I would I would actually never step to this guy. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes, definitely that. Uh, let's not. Gun rack on an electric my... car. You have a plug-in electric. I right? had. I had one. I now actually am driving a diesel, um, but it's still a, a little um, efficient diesel. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, with a gun rack. Yeah, I use it to store my flowers on it. Your bows. Uh, yes. Can you imagine a gun rack of bows? I would do that. Oh my god, so embarrassing. I'm a bow I hunter. See. I deserved, I deserved to get teased because I became the thing that needs to get teased. A bunch of fiberglass bows on there. Holy smokes. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to wrap up a little bit. But what I wanted was um, any advice or cautions that you would have for somebody wanting to kind of make this leap. Even if it's just giving themselves the permission to call themselves that or to have that dream. Um, and then also if there's just anything else that you feel like we've missed that you feel like you want to speak on, the, the floor is yours, sir. Wow. Oh, well, don't ever do that. Good heavens. Uh, <laughs> I thought you said you wanted to wind up. <laughs> I thought we were concluding here. Um, no, I mean, you know, advice that it's, it's such a, that's, that's a, that's another one of those like kind of tough words for me. I'm like, who am I to dole out advice? But, but you did the thing. You I, did the thing. I did the thing. Um, and and I, in the midst of all of that, I think a lot of it was just simply listen to yourself and what deep down you feel like you're really wanting and make, make it not about achieving something. Make it not about conforming to the expected norms that somebody else may have or you, that you may assume somebody has. Um, don't, don't in this journey um, overthink what other people's perceptions of you are. In fact, don't try not to think of them at all, really. Uh, yes, they are going to come into play at some point or other. That's just, that's a na the name of the game. Um, we're performing. People are paying attention to us. That's actually a good thing. And uh, be okay with the fact that not everything you do is going to be great. And not everything you play is going to be in tune. Um, but everything you do is going to be yours. And give yourself permission to own that. And then give yourself permission to call it whatever the hell you want. Um, you know, if, if you want to get out there and you want to be in a community orchestra and you can play the socks off of anything, but you still, in your mind, think of yourself as an amateur musician, embrace that, embrace that. And don't let it be a, um, don't let it be derogatory. Don't, if somebody calls you an amateur musician, yeah, 
I'm an amateur musician. That is absolutely fine. I choose to do this. This is something I do for fun. This is not something that I need to give so much mental bandwidth that I need to take it so seriously that I have to call myself a professional musician. If calling yourself a professional musician makes it a struggle and a stressor, guess what? It's just a label. Um, if on the other hand, if on the other hand, you're like, you know what, I am proud of, of the fact that I am trying to do something here and I have done this and I have done this and I have done this. And because of those things, I'm a professional musician. I, my, you know, brother put together a chamber ensemble and I play at the local winery once every other Tuesday and um, they give me a bottle of wine and some really awesome tea cakes. Uh, and that's our payment. I'm a professional musician. Go ahead. I've played for less. I have played for oh. less than that. <laughs> Way less. <laughs> I've had to bring my own wine. Wait a minute. No, it's not professional. Anyway, um, <laughs> no, but, but, I, but I mean, there's, there's the, they, they're just labels. Um, and it, what matters most is how you feel about yourself. Um, if... Now, to speak to professionalism, I think there are some very definite qualities and attributes where if you would like to tell somebody else, uh, hire me, I will be professional, um, know exactly what that means, you know, have, mm -hmm. have that, you know, have that mindset. Um, but very few people that go down the path of doing that or having that conversation don't know where those lines are, you know, so I mean, that, that kind of takes care of itself. Um, I would just say, uh, let yourself be as afraid as you need to be to push yourself forward and then just go do mm. it. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that this is especially important and this is kind of a transition to what maybe a little preview of the next episode. I think maybe it would have been easier to draw those lines in the 1970s or the 1980s, maybe even the 1990s. But now that the economy is sort of expanding in certain directions, contracting in others, um, online is just a thing and that's making all kinds of other things possible. It's, and also uh, with the, the wildness of, for instance, the housing market and how important it is for people to be able to buy a home and how hard that is to do on just any any professional me I'm not I'm saying if you are first chair cello in the LA Phil that if you're living in Los Angeles that is not going to get the job done actually um works if you're married that, to a doctor right and <laughs> and um yeah right that is super useful right having having a partner who's got a really stable generous income um that these labels I think are I think it's okay to, to, it's okay to have the mess. So like next time we're gonna have on two ladies, one of whom is a professional web, web dev, but she's also a professional violist and another professional flutist who is a vo voiceover artist. Um, and they make most of their money from the other stuff, but nobody would ever question who they are as musicians. And I think they've both gotten over the stigma from colleagues, the perception that because you're making your money doing something else, because I'll tell you nine times out of 10, the people who I have sensed looked down their nose at me within the music community always have somebody who is supporting them. Always. Every time. Every, Every time. time, and it's not another, it's not another musician. Nope. <laughs> it's, nope. <laughs> it's somebody with a different, a different kind of gig altogether with a nine yeah. to five. Um, so it has been like such a pleasure to to talk to you to revisit the gun rack i i just i'm so happy that you still have that it was a gift for me guys i'm not gonna lie i was just like this guy's got guns all over his car he needs to organize them no, I just, you played some Rachmaninoff. here have a gun rack <laughs> exactly maybe when we work on the rococo variations you can get a gun Ooh, no awesome, awesome. Ooh, seven movements you, you need to get something I as a reward so. yeah. for finishing that thing. Anyway, do you have a website or is there any way that if people want to talk with you more or a social media anything? You know, I, <laughs> hilariously, I don't. 
Um, yes, living the dream. I know, right? I, 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 I'm completely dark. Um, I have, uh, I, I honestly don't. Um, well, so if you want, but if, but if, but, but email's fine. Um, I, I, Facebook is fine. I have my, uh, um, my, my duo that I play in actually, um, uh, we don't actually have the website up yet. So no, um, there's, so how about this? <laughs> if you want to talk with Jeremy more, or if you would like to set up some online or in-person lessons in the LA area after COVID is over, you get to shout at me. That is contact at emilywright.net. You can find me on Instagram, emilywrightcello. You can find me on Twitter, emilycello. And then the website, which is about to have a complete redesign, is emilywright.net. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks, Jeremy. Bye-bye. <laughs>